Galatians chapter 6, let's read verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of the Messiah. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone, and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. So, what we read here in the first part of Galatians chapter 6, and of course we know the chapters were added in by man later in the A.D. period, but it helps us in memorization and learning Bible verses. But what we read in, the, in chapter 6 is just a continuation of the thought from the end of chapter 5. Paul has told us in chapter 5 that the entirety of the law of Yahweh is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's speaking of the horizontal law, the law from person to person. Paul is telling us that we must fulfill the law and the way that we do that is by serving one another through love. So when you approach your family member in the body of the Messiah, you should always be thinking, and this is not easy, that they are more important than you are. And that helps you treat them with ample respect and dignity, even when they stumble. Such is the case in verse 1. We're told, brothers, and the same goes for sisters, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Paul is talking to the body of believers here. He's speaking about groups like the one that is sitting here today. He's talking to all of us. And the first thing I want us to recognize here is that you can be a genuine believer in the Messiah, genuine, spirit-filled, and you can still get caught up in sin. The word caught here is translated as overtaken in some Bibles. One commentator that I read this week translated this verse as caught unawares. And I think that it's referring to something that was not long premeditated. The verse here is not about habitual, unrepentant sin. There are stronger ways that we deal with habitual, unrepentant sin in the community of believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Matthew 18, verse 17 talks about these. What we have here in Galatians 6 is a believer who falls into a sin, gets caught or overtaken in a sin through a weak moment or a weak time in their life, and their flesh gets the better of them. It's important that we recognize the difference between this type of sin versus unrepentant sin. Living a life of righteousness but then stumbling into a sin is not the same as knowingly, habitually, and unrepentantly committing transgression. There's a difference. There are those who, one, don't want to sin, fight sin, hate sin, but fall into a sin. And then there are those who, two, don't care what anybody thinks. They're just going to keep doing what they want to do no matter how sinful it is. Let me live my life how I want to live it. I don't want to be... In bondage, they say. And the law is bondage to somebody that doesn't want Yahweh to rule over them. It is. But it's liberty to those that have been set free by the Spirit. Amen. 
So there's a difference between getting caught in the sin and practicing sin unrepentantly. Galatians 6.1 is a reference to the saint who is struggling. The saint who is at a weak point in their life, in his or her life, and they gave into temptation. When this happens, Paul tells us that those of us who are spiritually strong, and what Paul means there is right off the heels of verse 5, those of us, those of us who are being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, more spiritual, which means more lawful, more stronger in our faith at the time, we should go and restore such a person that gets caught in a sin, and we should do so in a spirit of meekness or in a spirit of gentleness. We cannot say that it doesn't matter what spirit we do it in, because Paul says to do it in a gentle spirit. If we're walking by the Spirit, gentleness is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. There will always be some people in the congregation who are stronger than others. That doesn't mean that the strong will always be the same people, but someone who is strong here will always be here to support someone who is weak. You may be the weak person one year, you may be the strong person the next year. But there, Yahweh has it worked out, praise His holy name, that there will always be somebody in the community that is strong when you go through a weak time in your life. So when we find that our brother or sister has been overtaken in a transgression, when that knowledge comes to light, our first thought should not be, well, I told you so. But it should be, let me go and talk to them and help restore them. Keeping the commandments is not a competition with our neighbor. That's right. We're on the same team. That's right. We're the same team. When our neighbor needs help carrying a burden, we go and help them. And we hope that they're restored to do better. We don't point and laugh at them and mock and think that we have a higher score than them because we're keeping the commandments at that time and they've fallen into sin. That's not what it's about. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 says this. This is the Messiah speaking. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your neighbor. That's where open rebuke begins in private. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes open rebuke still means private rebuke. It's open because you're being open with your neighbor. But it's in private because that's where you begin. Just you and your neighbor. And the hopes is always that they will listen and no further action will have to take place. Let me tell you that in the times of my life when I made the worst decisions and I did things that I should not have done, the people who helped me the most were not the ones who wanted to nail me to a cross but they were the ones who picked me up and carried me on their shoulders. I'm here today, not just because of Yahweh's grace, but because people of Yahweh have been gracious to me. And it takes a very mature saint to look past the sin that their brother or sister has committed and see that there is still hope for them. It takes someone who has been bumped their sails, bruised, cut, left for dead. It takes someone like that to be able to reach out a helping hand and pour oil on the wounds of a defeated brother or sister. Proverbs 17 verse 9, New English Translation says this, The one who forgives an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Let's not forget what the end of Galatians 6 verse 1 says. It says, Watching out for yourself so you won't be tempted also. When we're doing well in our walk, when we're having victory over sin, and we watch our brother or our sister fall by the wayside, 
our tendency, because we're still wrapped in flesh, our tendency is to magnify their sin because that makes us feel super spiritual and better about ourselves. We say, look at what they did. They should have been more in the Word like me. That's not the right attitude to take. We should mourn when we see someone in our spiritual family fall. We should not kick them in the gut while they are down on the ground. We should not mock them or curse them. We should reach out in a gentle spirit and try to make them whole again. Tisha, my wife, recently had a little puppy hurt her leg and she found out about it one morning and she immediately started to take extra care of that little puppy. And she would cuddle that little dog and she would pet her and hold the puppy close to her and she would check on her to see what the problem was. She put a little brace on her leg and kept her away from any harm. And she took the puppy to the vet to see what else could help. My point is that she did everything in her power to help that hurt animal because a righteous person regards the life of his animal, Proverbs says. And you know what? It worked. The little puppy got better. I've had times in gardening over the years where I've had some plants that are not doing so well and I don't get upset and start cursing the plants. I don't immediately pluck them out of the ground. I try to figure out what's going on. Does the plant need some water? Does the plant need some oxygen? Does it need me to talk to it? Some of you old timers probably know about that. I do what causes the plant to get better before I just toss it by the wayside. We ought to treat our fallen brothers and sisters first with this care. When other people want to point fingers, we ought to reach out with helping hands. When others want to kill, we should want to heal. When people want to scream, I told you so, we should gently say, I'm here to help, my friend. Our gentleness, this is important, our gentleness never okays somebody's sin. Sin is always bad. Our gentleness, what it does, is says there's hope and you can be forgiven. As long as somebody is breathing, there is hope for their forgiveness. Sometimes we get way off track. And you might have placed Yahweh's Word by the wayside. You may have forgotten how sweet His law is. The scripture says it's sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. You may have been overtaken in a transgression. But if you ask Yahweh to forgive you and your neighbor, if you've wronged your neighbor and you ask your neighbor to forgive you and you repent of your sin, forgiveness is for you. It is not too late to turn around and go in the other direction. It's not too late to say, I'm sorry, and start anew. There are people here who are willing to pick you up and doctor you back to spiritual health. We ought to be like our Messiah. They that are whole don't need a doctor, but they that are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Humble people make helpful people. We have to remember that all of us are susceptible to being overtaken in a sin. Watch out for yourself, lest you be tempted also. While we're on a spiritual high mountain today, our day of temptation may be just around the corner. That's why our Messiah taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What you condemn today might be what you partake in tomorrow. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. If you're humble, you'll realize this, and you'll deal with your brother or your sister in a spirit of gentleness. A man named Augustine once said, 
There is no surer test of the spiritual person than his treatment of another's sins. One ancient rabbi warned, Though reproof was a religious duty, it might be better to abstain lest one forfeit humility by seeming to make oneself superior to another. Everyone who recognizes their own need of mercy shows that mercy to others. And never forget that whatever measure of judgment that you hand out, that same measure will be placed back on you. But the opposite is also true. Whatever measure of mercy you hand out, the same measure of mercy will be placed back on you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Forgiveness, mercy, grace will be measured back to you. It's so important that when you see or you hear about a brother or sister who has fallen into a sin, that you don't become puffed up. Paul dealt with this in 1 Corinthians 5, where there was a man in the congregation that was involved in a serious sin of sexual immorality. And he told the Corinthians, he said, you're puffed up when you should be mourning over this brother. Don't immediately go to excommunication, but instead seek for restoration. Don't throw people away. Dust them off. Don't crucify them. Help carry their cross. There have been little messiahs in my own life. And what I mean is, I have seen and experienced the messiah in a tangible way by certain people that Yahweh has placed in my life. There have been people who have loved me through all of my faults. My wife is one of them. (laughs) She knows me better than anybody in here. She knows what pushes my buttons and has got my goat. (laughs) She knows all of my faults, all of my shortcomings, all of my frailties. And she still loves me. Because she's a good woman. Yahweh gave her to me, I believe. But it's not only her. There's been other people who've loved me through all of my faults. My granddaddy was one of them. There have been people who saw me caught in a transgression and who came to me in the spirit of gentleness, seeking my restoration and well-being. My father-in-law is one of them. Brother Arnold done that to me with a gentle spirit. It makes you realize that there really is a Savior. When you can reach out and touch somebody and hug them and they have that same spirit that our Savior exhibited. These people have helped me believe that there really is a Messiah. For how else could they act this way? The way of the world, the way of man, the way of the flesh is to get back at, to stomp on, to stab while you're hurt. That is the normal fleshly way. The way of forgiveness and love and gentleness, restoration seeking, that is the supernatural, spiritual way. Look at the next verse, Galatians 6 verse 2. It says, carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of the Messiah. What burdens? Well, the burdens we just talked about in verse 1. This verse, verse 2, is not about helping somebody move their furniture or stopping to jump off your brother's dead battery in his car. We should help our brothers in those cases. There's there's laws, there's scriptures about, you know, if your brother's animal is lost or gets out. And I think the same thing would apply if you see your brother. If I see Brother Jerry and he's on the side of the road with his hood up, you better believe I'm going to stop and say, hey, how, what can I do? What You know, you need a ride, what you need help. But that's not what this verse is about. This verse is about carrying one another's burdens in the sense of doing what verse 1 says. Somebody gets caught or overtaken in a sin, you go to them in a the spirit of meekness, 
considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And you seek for restoration. That's how Paul is admonishing us to care for one another's burdens. In doing this, we fulfill the law of the Messiah. Does fulfill here mean to do away with? No, it doesn't. Fulfilling the law of the Messiah means carrying it out, obeying it, doing it. It's the same thing in Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Does that mean the entire law is done away with in one statement? No. It means it's accomplished. It's carried out. It's obeyed. And what is the law of the Messiah? Is it a different law? Is there anything that we read here that's been different than the Torah? Listen to Leviticus, that book that hardly anybody reads anymore unless they're going through their yearly Bible reading and then when they get to Leviticus, they usually stop and get discouraged because it's so foreign to them, right? (laughs) But Leviticus is one of the greatest books in all of Scripture. One of the first five books of the law of Yahweh. Leviticus 19 verse 17 says this, You must not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. This verse in Leviticus is the backdrop for Galatians 6 verse 1. It's not saying anything different than Galatians 6 verse 1. They're teaching the same thing. Therefore, the law of the Messiah here is not any different from the Torah, from the law of Yahweh. The law of the Messiah refers to the way in which Yeshua walked out the law. The cultural context of the law of Messiah or the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you, the cultural context is this. There were many rabbis in the first century and they would discuss the Torah and they would sometimes come to different understandings of how to obey certain laws in Torah. That didn't mean that they were bad if they came to different understandings. But one rabbi would say, this is what the commandment refers to. This is how we best carry it out. The other rabbi would say, well, I'm not so sure. Maybe we should carry out the commandment this way. I think this is the best way to carry out. Two famous rabbis in the first century were Shammai and Hillel, and they disagreed on things. Those two rabbis disagreed on divorce and remarriage, if you study the history of that. Yeshua was one of many rabbis, many teachers in Israel, And in Matthew 5, like on the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you've heard that it has been said, what that means is this is how people have viewed these verses. This is how people have interpreted these verses. Then when he says, but I say unto you, he's saying, this is the proper interpretation. This is the proper way to understand these texts in Torah. And I think that's what law of Messiah means. It's a reference to Yeshua's proper interpretation or understanding of the law of Moses. And one of the main ways that Yeshua viewed the law was as an act of love or an act of service to our neighbor and to Yahweh. So think about it like this. When we read in the Bible, and it's there many times, the law of Moses, when we read that in Scripture, we should know that that's not different than the law of Yahweh. There is a theology in Christianity in some circles. Seventh-day Adventism is the popular one where they try to make a difference between the law of Moses and the law of Yahweh. And they say, well, we don't have to obey the law of Moses, but we do have to obey the law of Yahweh. The reality is we have to obey the law of Moses. And sometimes when I talk to people, I like to call it that because I don't like to stir pots, but I do like to stir thoughts, right? (laughs) So I like to call it law of Moses because people automatically think that sounds different and it wakes them up. It's just like I don't tell people I'm a Christian, even though I don't have a problem with the Word, but I tell people I'm a follower of the Messiah. I'm a disciple of the Messiah. 
I've never heard of that. Tell me a little bit more. So when we read Law of Moses, the reason that it's called that, and it is, Deuteronomy calls it that, Malachi, the, the last prophetic book of the Old Testament, says, Remember ye the Law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb with its statutes and judgments. The Messiah refers to it as the Law of Moses. He even said, Moses said, in Matthew 15 and Mark 7. It's because Yahweh gave His law through prophet Moses. Moses was His main man. Moses was up on the mountain by himself, fasting, communing with Yahweh. And he received those tablets of the covenant. And he walked down and he was kind of a mediator, a go-between, as he taught the law. So it's okay to call it the law of Moses, but Moses didn't come up, Moses didn't sit in his tent at night and make up certain laws so that we would have to obey them. No. Yahweh gave him those laws. He was the vehicle through it. So it's no different when we read Law of the Messiah. We shouldn't think like a lot a lot of people do in Christianity that it's different than the Torah. No, it's simply the way that the Messiah walked out the law, the proper understanding of the law. Now verses 3 through 4 says this, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone, and not in respect to someone else. So, if we approach our fallen brother or sister that gets caught up in a wrongdoing or a transgression, by the way, that word wrongdoing, HCSB, I think King James says fault, overtaken in a fault. That same Greek word is translated as debts in the Lord's Prayer. It's translated transgressions. That's where it's talking about sin, transgression of the law. Okay. I don't know if I made that clear earlier, but if our fallen brother or sister is approached by us in a spirit of pride, in other words, we're not the ones caught in the sin, so you know we're going to approach them in a spirit of pride. But Paul says approach them in a spirit of gentleness. But if we, if we go with pride, we're deceiving ourselves into thinking this, well, I would never fall into that sin. I remember one time I had a teacher in high school that talked about Students falling into sin. And I sat there and thought, yeah, I come from a family of pastors. My dad's a preacher for crying out loud. My dad traveled around with a tent evangelist and played music. I'll never fall into that sin. <laughs> Guess who fell into that sin? <laughs> Pride, see? We have to approach our brother and sister realizing that it could be us next. It very well could be me tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now. Remember Peter? He said, I'll never deny you, Lord. What happened? He denied him three times. This is why we're called to examine our own works. So when Paul says here that we should not boast in ourselves alone, he's not encouraging being puffed up in pride, that, that kind of boasting. What he's saying is we shouldn't compare our life to the life of the person that's overtaken in the sin. Because all that's going to do is make us feel better. No matter what stage we're at in our spiritual walk, we may not be 100% either. We may only be producing 30-fold fruit down here and we need to grow a little bit more. But when we see that brother caught in a sin and we approach him in pride, if we compare ourselves with him, we may become puffed up and think, well, look at me, I'm this spiritual giant. So we should approach in humility, in a spirit of meekness. New Living Translation. A lot of times I love the New Living Translation. Sometimes I hate it. <laughs> but a lot of times I love it. I think that it gets it right here. Galatians 6, verses 3-4, through New Living says this, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. 
You can always find someone to compare yourself to to make yourself feel better no matter how bad you are or how bad you're doing. I'm talking about spiritually in sin. No matter how far you've fallen by the wayside, how far you are from the law of Yahweh, you can always find somebody else and say, well, at least I'm not like them. But if you do that, you're like the Pharisee and not the tax collector in Luke 18. There's only two ways to pray, brothers and sisters, either like the Pharisee or the tax collector, either with pride or with humility. The tax collector wouldn't so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but said, Yahweh, have mercy on me. For I'm a sinner. And Yeshua said, That man went home justified. For he who exalts himself shall be brought down low. But he who brings himself down low shall be exalted. So we have to examine our own work. Think about it like this. When I go over to somebody else's house, I notice all of the imperfections. (laughs) Some of y'all ain't going to invite me over to your house anymore. I notice all the imperfections. I notice the dirt in the corner. I notice cobwebs in the ceiling corner. I notice a piece of trim that's short. I'll see if the couch isn't clean, if the cushions aren't fluffed, if the kitchen sink is a mess. I notice those things and they're glaring out at me. And you know why I notice them? Because it's not my house. The same things are at my house. But I become accustomed to them at my house because I'm there all the time. So I don't see the cobwebs. Because I pass that doorway all the time at my own house. One brother said, sweep around your own door before you try to go sweeping around somebody else's door. Our Messiah said, get the log out of your eye before you go try to remove the sawdust out of your neighbor's eye. The point is, is that you notice more when it's not you. But you still have areas to work on. And we have to purposefully slow down and think about our own faults. We're so worried about he, she, they, and them that we forget about working on our working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says to the Philippians. At the end of the day, when you lay in bed, don't spend your time meditating upon what other people did wrong because you can't control what they do anyhow. You can only control what, what Matthew does or what Jerry does or what Rocket does or what Lisa does. You can control you, see. Ask yourself, where did I mess up today? What can I do to make myself better? What actions can I take to help me be more loving and more of a servant tomorrow? And when you do this, day in and day out, you will eventually become a more righteous person in your actions. According to the law of Yahweh. But we spend so much time harping on other people. You say, well, Brother Matthew, but they did this to me. Does it matter? You control how you react Examine your own work. So then you'll have reason to boast in your own actions, Paul says. And not comparing yourselves among yourselves. Then there's verse 5, which we'll end with today. And it says, for each person will have to carry his own load. Some people think that it's contradictory. You'll find on some atheist websites that they list this as one of the contradictions in the Bible because verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. Verse 5 says, bear your own burden. Therefore, the Bible's contradictory. Let's throw it out. Okay, yeah. That's ridiculous. All right, but there's something called context and it helps tremendously when we read the Bible. So, in verse 2, it's about helping our neighbor when they're overtaken in a sin. We carry each other's burdens. Brother Rocket needs me, I go help him. Next week, if I need Brother Rocket, he comes and helps me. We carry one another's burdens. But verse 5 is about comparing yourself by yourself to the law. You have to carry your own load in the sense of you have to measure your own righteousness and spirituality by yourself to the law. 
and not compare yourself with somebody else. Carry your own load that way. But when it comes to helping your brother or sister who's fallen, carry the burden. Help carry the burden. Spirit of gentleness. So these are very practical verses. Ones that you will have to use in your own life a lot. Sometimes you'll be the spiritual person and you'll walk strongly in the law and you'll be the one to reach out and help your neighbor in humility with a gentle spirit, spirit of meekness. Other times you'll be the weak one who has fallen into a sin and you need to be pulled out. And brothers and sisters, it's so hard because it's, it's demeaning to our flesh. But if that's ever us, if that's ever, ever you, you get caught unawares in a transgression or you have a weak time in your life and you fall into a transgression, if you have a brother or a sister come to you in a gentle spirit, you need to receive it. You need to receive it because they're there to help. It's so easy for us to say, no, we don't want to listen. No, you got your own problems. Don't be telling me what I need to do. If they come to you in humility and gentleness, listen to what they have to say because they're there to help. They're obeying Matthew 18, 15. They're coming to you in private. As Yeshua said, that's the first step that we should do. Before we bring witnesses, before we bring it before the church, we go in private. They're doing that. You receive that. Sometimes you'll be the strong one. Sometimes you'll be the weak one. The next time something like these verses happens in your life, I want you to remember these verses. If you're the sinner, realize that there's hope for you. If you're the strong person, don't become prideful, but help your neighbor neighbor, and realize that it might be you next. Fulfill ye the law of the Messiah. Serve one another with love. Next week, I'm going to preach on one verse. Verse 6. So you can read that. It won't take you but a few seconds to read it. And I'll teach a whole sermon on it next week. Praise Yahweh.